I would not normally do this, but I, I just want to talk to those that are watching online for a moment. We've, we have a, a large audience that, um, for various reasons, that tune in online, and that's not just live right now, but some that watch later in the week. And for those of you that are, you may be missionaries that are watching or other places, or we have, for whatever reason, some of you can't be in the room. Um, but here's what I wanted to say. Uh, Psalms, David writes, taste and see that the Lord is good. And it made me think, a couple weeks ago was Valentine's weekend, and I wanted to do a date night with my wife and take her to a restaurant that we hadn't been. So I was, I was looking on Yelp, and I'm showing my age because nobody young uses Yelp anymore. <laughs> but I was looking at reviews, and um, you know, you can look at pictures of what food tastes like, and you can see it. But how many know you can't taste it? Let me just tell you, if you're watching online, you can see, but I don't believe you can taste (laughs) unless you are in the room with people who love Jesus and are worshiping together. So I just want to encourage you, if you maybe are watching at some point this week and you've never uh, just joined us in person, um, I want to speak on behalf of this crew here. We'd love to see you in person and uh, have you taste and see that the Lord is good. One quick public service announcement. Um, tomorrow, something exciting is happening here at ACAC. We are launching a new website. And I want to thank our team. I'm not going to name names right now, but they have been working seriously for months to make that happen. So here's how it affects you. I just said that. So tomorrow, all of you are going to go acac.net. Um, it's going to be switching over tomorrow. So I'm letting you know that there may be some downtime. So uh, wait till Tuesday, if you will. But in all honesty, that's why I wanted you to know that there may be some hiccups with our website in that transition to our new one. So thanks for our team doing that. And I look forward for you experiencing that new website that's coming uh, later this week. All right. Kenyon Wilson is a professor at the University of Tennessee. And like most professors, um, they pass out syllabuses at the start of class. And any of you have ever taken a college class, or maybe some of you are college students today, you know what a syllabus is. We also have some professors that are here. And a syllabus, in case you don't know, is about four or five pages, and it gives you the instructions, and you get that at the beginning, beginning of class. And everybody knows syllabuses aren't that exciting. And what do most students do when they get a syllabus? They just skim it. Why? Because they just want to know what's the most important details. Well, Professor Wilson understood this, and so what he decided to do was to hide some information in the syllabus to see if any student would actually pay attention to all the details. So in the middle of the syllabus, he told the students where they could find $50 cash. And uh, there was a little more than 70 students in this class. And guess how many of them discovered the $50? Zero. (laughs) None of them. So every college student now is going to go back and look at their syllabus. But, um, and asked... Professor Wilson, when asked about it afterwards, said he wasn't upset, he wasn't disappointed because he understood that most students only skim and read what they think is important. Basically like, okay, how often do I need to show up to this class? And what do I need to do to pass the class? Oftentimes, Christians can be just as guilty as those college students in our approach to reading the Bible. What we can do is skim and read the things that we deem important. 
But it's an important reminder for all of us that from the very beginning, from Genesis to the very end, Revelation, and every verse in between, God's word is filled with riches for our life. That we can't look at the Bible and deem what's necessary and go, okay, well, what's required of me as a Jesus follower? What do I need to know on how to get to heaven? No, we need to understand that all of it is filled with riches for our life. There's a subject in the Bible that many Christians gloss over when reading. At the very least, they don't give it proper attention, even though God has a lot to say about it in his word. And that subject is about wealth or money or finances. Several years ago, there was a sociologist named Robert Wuthnow, and he did a study about the attitude of money in church. And what he discovered was that 95% of churchgoers had never discussed their personal finances, even in conversation with anybody else in the church. Some of you are going, well, yeah, why would I, right? Well, think about this. Okay, most of us are married in the room, and if, if you're a married person, most marriages have one person is, who's a saver and the other person who is a spender. Where are all my savers at? Where are all my spenders at? Okay, and you know this, that often causes conflict in the marriage. So when you're talking about finances, sparks can fly. So it shouldn't be a secret or it shouldn't be surprising to us that often in a church family, finances aren't discussed when the very people that are closest to us, we can't have a conversation with them without things going sideways. But today, that's not the case. We're going to talk about finances. We're gonna look at what God has the word, what his word has to say about it. And the Bible actually has a lot to say. If you have a concordance, um, you can look this up later online, but prayer is mentioned some 270 times in the Bible. When it comes to our need to love other people or God desiring us for us to love other people, that's mentioned around 370 times. But when it comes to dealing with money or our possessions, over 2,000 times in the Bible is that subject talked about. There are roughly 39 parables that Jesus gave in the Gospels. 11 of those 39, Jesus used possessions or wealth as an illustration to make a spiritual point. Why would Jesus do that? Why would God address finances and money in the Bible so much? It is because money plays a significant role in our life. Think about this. We spend most of our days here on earth working, right? For what? A paycheck. Money. So in a very real sense, our money represents us. Therefore, how we use wealth reveals who we are. It can reveal our identity. It can reveal our priorities. It can reveal our values. And it can reveal the condition of our heart, which is what we talked about last week. The condition of our heart determines the direction of our life. And that is certainly true when it comes to our personal finances. Before we dive in, it's really important that I uh, just pause for a moment and recognize the diversity in this room. ACAC, our mission is following Jesus in diverse community. That diversity also is a socioeconomic diversity. So I want to acknowledge and recognize that here in this room today, we have some that maybe you are living with mom and dad, you're not old enough to have a job yet. And so anything you get comes from mom and dad. And that may be a good reminder. Mom, dad's just, you know. 
It may be your allowance or whatever it is, but you haven't gotten to a point where you are working and earning your own wage. We have singles here in the room. There are some of you that you're starting out, your only real expense is you and your own household, but some are single parents and they're really struggling to provide for their kids and you're working and balancing childcare and a home and all of that. There are certainly young marrieds here that are just starting out and you're just finding out who's the spender and who's the saver. And your journey together as a couple is just beginning. We certainly have people with means here and God has blessed you with resources financially. There are some here today that you're on a fixed income. Maybe you're retired or it's fixed for whatever reason. And um, that's your situation. There are others you walked in here today and you don't know where your next meal is coming from. But regardless, when God talks about personal finances or money or when you hear the word wealth today, I don't want you to gloss over or think just because you don't have a lot, this doesn't apply to you. God speaks to us wherever we are with what, however much or however little we have. In Proverbs for today, we're going to see again a father giving wisdom to his son about how to avoid pitfalls in life. This dad was Solomon, who many believe was the wealthiest person that had ever walked this earth. So let's look at it together. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. He writes, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Let me read another translation of that same verse. Two verses, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns and grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Let's look at those first six words. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor is a word that we're familiar with. It's a Hebrew word here, but it means um, weight. It's a heaviness. And the idea is that God is worthy. He is heavy. He is significant. Significant. It describes the, the significance and importance of us recognizing he is worthy of worship. He's worthy of glory and honor and power and esteem and praise. He's worthy of all of our honor. And Solomon tells us to honor, to worship the Lord with what? Our wealth. We are to worship the Lord, to honor the Lord with wealth. Now, wealth, it's another Hebrew word here, and it actually means substance. Now, again, when we hear the word wealth, we think of a person with a lot of means. We even say a wealthy person, and we think, okay, they've got a lot of money in the bank, drive nice cars, and have lots of toys. That is not the implication here in the text. He is saying that wealth is substance. So all of us, regardless of what you have or don't have, we are to honor, we are to worship the Lord with our substance, with all that we are and that all that God has blessed us with. Solomon is basically saying this, and here's what we have to remember today. Wealth is for worship. Wealth is for worship. We are not to worship wealth. We are to worship with wealth. Worship with our whole substance. The whole purpose of wealth, the whole purpose of money or personal finance that God gives us is to worship God with it. And that should be the attitudes of our heart when it comes to our personal finances. 
Too many times, Christians focus on the how and not the why. Narrowing in on the question, how much should I give, rather than why is it important for me to give? It is important for us to give because it is one of the primary ways in which we worship God. Your wealth, again, your resources, however much or however little you have, it was given to you for a temporary time for eternal purposes. While you are here on this earth, God wants you to worship with your substance. He wants you to worship with your wealth, worship with your finances. When our kids were younger, we would take them, um, like if it was their birthday or a special day, we would take them to this place called Chuck E. Cheese. Do they still have Chuck E. Cheese today? Okay, you know what I'm talking about. And um, maybe it was a birthday, and um, I think we did our son's birthday one time, and you know, his friends were all invited. And what is it that, as a dad and mom, you're responsible to give your kids and all their friends? Tokens, all right? I mean, the pizza's like secondary. They hurry up and eat the pizza, and then they want tokens, right? Well, if I were to give my son and his friends and my daughter a bunch of tokens, and they just kept it in their pockets and went home and saved it, I'd be like, what are you doing? I didn't give you the tokens for you to just take home and save it. I gave it so that you could use it and have fun with your friends and you know, get those tickets and try to save up for all that stuff. Well, God is the same way with us. He doesn't give us resources. He doesn't give us wealth so that we can just hoard it in our pockets and take it home. He gives it to us so that we can worship him with it and expand and bless his kingdom. So when it comes to honoring the Lord with our substance, worshiping God with our wealth and our finance, Practically speaking, how do we do that? Let me give you three ways. First of all, we worship God in gaining wealth. We can worship God when we gain wealth. Meaning we worship God in wealth when we work. Everybody say work. Work. Many Christians mistakenly think that work is a curse. And I'm not talking about where you work or your job. I'm talking about work itself. Okay, now immediately some of you go back to the book of Genesis, rightly so, where sin enters the world and God has some things to say about how sin affects our work. But let me tell you, work predates sin. Work is not a curse. Okay, God called us to work. He created us to work. Let me prove it to you. Okay, he creates um, the heavens and the earth. He creates the garden of Eden, right? He creates Adam, He puts Adam in the garden, and then what does he tell Adam to do in the garden? To tend and to watch over it. He tells Adam to work the garden. This is prior to sin. Now, sin does come into the work world, and sin makes our work more frustrating and difficult, but work predates sin. God created us to work, and one of the ways in which we worship him is through our work. The Apostle Paul talks about this in the New Testament when he writes, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. So even now, if you hate your job and you hate your boss, you're working willingly for God. Okay, whatever it is he has called you to do, Paul commends us, you were created to work Honor him, worship him with your substance. And a part of that is our gifting, our working. When we work, we've demonstrated that we have been created in the image of God. God is a creator. He created us. He created the heavens and the earth. 
We share in God's creative power when we use our gifts to create, to organize, to develop, to produce, or help people. Whether it's building a home, riding alone, waiting on tables, selling cars, teaching in kindergarten, or even being a pastor, we were made to work. And it's part of the image of God within us. When we work and thereby gain wages, it then allows us to use these resources to worship him with wealth. Here's the second way in which we worship God through wealth. We worship God in giving wealth. As we now understand the why that wealth is for worship, we can now get to the how. And the question all of us have to ask when we receive that paycheck At the end of the day, we ask, God, how have you called me to worship you with this substance? How have you called me to worship with these resources? Let's go back to our proverb for today. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Say best. Best. The best part of everything you produce. Some of your translations, it's up there. It's called first fruits. We're gonna talk about that in a moment. What does that mean? One way to worship God in the use of our wealth is by giving him priority in our finances. Now, this culture at the time when the book of Proverbs was written, it was an agricultural culture, meaning that industry and currency consisted of produce and farming. They didn't have Apple Pay, Venmo, Cash App, all of that other thing. It was, it was when the people of Israel brought their offering, they would bring literally grain or beans or a livestock. God's people in the Old Testament, when they worshipped God with their produce, they would bring what was called their first fruits. Simply put, they honored God and they worshipped him by bringing their first, not their last. They gave him their best not their leftovers. Now, I was fortunate. My mom and dad were actually here in the 830 service. They're on their way, flying back to Houston um, at this moment. And they came in town Friday. And Friday night, let me just tell you, whenever my mom and dad comes in town, my kids make sure they're home because she makes a killer homemade Mexican meal. And so Friday night, we had fresh flour tortillas. We had tostadas. We had carne asada. We had frijoles and chorizo. I mean, they brought salsa from Texas. It was mm, delicioso. I'm telling you, it's amazing. And I would love if there was any way where where I could just have all of you over to experience homemade Mexican, Mexican food, I would do it. And um, when the 1130 service is over, I'm going to go home and I'm going to have a plate of leftovers. But here's the thing. If I invited you all over to my house for Mexican food, I would not give you the leftovers. As good as they are, it's not as good as fresh tortillas. So bringing it back home, when we worship God with our wealth, we shouldn't give God our leftovers. The people of Israel understood that he got their first fruits. He got what came first, and he deserves what comes first. We are to offer God the first and the best of our wealth in worship. This means asking God up front, how are you calling me to worship with what I have? Before we make any other decisions regarding money and possessions, we ask God that first. You've probably heard it said that we can ask ourselves, God, how much are you calling me um, to keep? 
not how much are you calling me to give. Getting really practical, this means intentionally budgeting. My guess is the majority of you have a budget. If not, you should have a budget. Um, we talked about in marriage, one of, one of you are spenders and one of you are savers. I'm blessed because I'm married to an accountant. And so she manages our budget perfect. And every month, at least once, we have a budget meeting in our marriage. And we agree together on how we are going to spend the resources, the wealth that God has blessed us with. And in our budget, at the very top, the first thing we look at is giving is God how are we going to worship you with our wealth first and foremost we give to the local church here ACAC where God has called and planted us I'll talk about that in a moment there are other ways that we give we give to missionaries we give to um, nonprofit organizations that are doing great kingdom work but it is an immovable line item that no matter what happens first and foremost God will be worshiped in the Hannah household and finance and that's what we're talking about so getting very practical then, how much should we give? Well, first I talked about the direction and where. God has called us, and he has called the local church to be his primary avenue for doing his work in the world. So we should give first to the local church. I won't go into great detail on this, but in the, books of, in the book of Acts, chapters 2, chapter 4, when the church is created, the very beginning of the church, we see believers giving their money not to projects that they're passionate about, not to GoFundMe pages. They give it to those that were appointed and assigned to lead the church, and God used the local church to accomplish his mission. And that's still the case. Now, the million-dollar question that everybody asks is, well, how much should I give? For years, and there are many pastors and churches that still teach the principle of tithing today. Here at ACAC, uh, if you're new, to, you're new or maybe you just started coming, you've never heard me preach on finances before or us at a church, we do not preach the principle or the law of tithing. We preach spirit-led giving, and I'm going to explain the difference. However, let me say I do recognize there are those within our congregation that do tithe. Here's why we don't teach or preach that. First of all, followers of Jesus are under a new covenant. Tithing in the Old Testament is under Mosaic law. None of us live under Mosaic law anymore, in which tithing falls under. If you fast forward to the New Testament, questions are often asked, well, Jesus, doesn't he reference the tithe in the New Testament? Yes, he referenced the tithe in Matthew's gospel. He uh, calls out the religious leaders of the day. But again, that is still a part of the old covenant that is prior to Jesus going to the cross, being buried, and then being resurrected. Everything is elevated. When Jesus comes and in the New Testament, he elevates everything, including giving and finances. Let me compare it to a couple other ways. And I've referenced this in this series before. Jesus says, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery, right? He elevates that and says, oh, it's not just about the act. I am looking at your heart. If you even have lust in your heart. He elevates um, anger. He says, you have heard it said, do not commit murder. If you have anger in your heart, he elevates it. Jesus says, I am elevating even giving. Give all that you have. It's all mine, Jesus says. And by the way, if you truly want to live under the tithe, which many, again, many teach is 10%, go back and do the math and research. You actually need to double your tithe because the tithe in the Old Testament was about 22, 23%. And we thank you for your giving.
Many people give beyond the tithe. Here's why we don't teach the principle of tithing, but spirit-led giving. First of all, we should be spirit-led in all that we do. Absolutely everything. First and foremost, we need to be obedient to God in that. The Apostle Paul, who gives us more instructions on church in the New Testament than any other um, person in the New Testament. He tells us about the order of worship in church. He talks about the leaders and qualifications of church. He talks about how we should do communion. Paul himself says this. He writes, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. In another place, Paul writes, Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. The very person who gave us the instructions of the local church and why we do a lot what we do, at no point ever in Scripture does Paul give his readers an external measurable standard of giving. We should be spirit-led in our giving, and it should be of our first, not our last. Practically speaking, again, my wife and I, we go before the Lord and we pray, God, what do you have, what have you called us to give? What do you, how should we worship you with this? And then we are simply obedient to him in that. I will warn you though, when you do that and you seek to be obedient, often God will stretch you and you will find that you're giving far more than 10%. So be obedient in what God would have you to do. Be spirit led in your giving. Here's the third way we worship in wealth. We worship God in gathering wealth. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Solomon writes, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then there seems to be this statement that says, if you do that, He's going to fill your barns and your grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. You don't have to answer this, but I'm going to ask you this question. Is this a promise or is this a principle? Think about what we've taught during this series. Okay, Proverbs are principles for life. And this is where we get off. This is where we go sideways. Remember, the book of Proverbs is filled with principles for living, not promises for life. Okay, the wisdom writer and God is telling us, generally speaking in life, if you do this, this will happen. But it is not a promise, it is a principle. Let's get off the subject of money for a moment, and I'll use another illustration. In Proverbs, there is a verse that says, raise up a child and the way he will go, she will go. And when they are older, what? They're not going to depart with you. Okay, so... If we take that as a promise, that means if you take your kids to church, if you pray with them every night, if you read them scripture, if you have them read the Bible, how many of you don't raise your hands, but you understand and know that that is a principle, it is not a promise or guarantee that if you do everything right, your children are going to turn out perfect. It's not a promise, it's a principle. There is no difference between that verse and this verse in scripture. And this is the problem with the prosperity gospel. Prosperity theology teaches a false gospel. It is heresy. Let me be clear. By using God to get wealth rather than using wealth to worship God. And if you hear any pastor preach that, run and run fast. It is dangerous and it is unbiblical. We do not use God for wealth. We worship God with our wealth. Does he in turn bless us? Yes, he does. 
So many times in our life, we have given, Tara and I, my wife and I have given sacrificially. And there have been times where we have like, Lord, I don't know where this is going to come from. And he has provided. Yes, he blesses us. But it's not a guarantee. And I certainly don't write a check that I can't afford in hopes that God's going to return it back tenfold, pressed down, shaking together, and I'm going to be driving a Cadillac. (laughs) The Bible doesn't teach that. It's heresy. There are no shortcuts. And as we understand that we have all called to work, let me read one other Proverbs. Proverbs 13, 11, wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. How has God called us to work? Wealth from hard work grows over time. So there are no get-rich-fast. That's not how God has called us. So if you're approached from a pyramid scheme or, hey, just if you invest this or do this or find 50 more people to do this, like that's not how God has called us to gain wealth. He's called us to work, to be diligent, to put one one foot in front of the other, to honor him and whatever it is that God has called you to do, to honor him in that. To day by day gain wealth through hard work, through faithful work, to give and worship him through wealth and then to save and to gain why so that we can be obedient and give and be generous and do the work that God has called us to do let me close today by asking you a few questions there are some of you that when you hear that there are nations that there are communities that there are groups of people that have never heard the name Jesus your heart breaks (laughs) and you would love nothing more than to buy a plane ticket to go and to be able to spend a week, a two, a month, a year, two years, whatever it is, to share the good news of the gospel. And the only thing that is holding you back are resources. (laughs) There are some of you, We we live in a country where there are so many children that are in foster care, that are in need of safe and warm and godly homes. And there are parents that would do anything to take those kids. And the things that are holding them back for a variety of reasons, the cost of adopting is ridiculous in our nation. And the thing that's holding you back are resources. For some of you, God has birthed within your heart a passion and a desire to do a ministry. He's given you a a burden. Maybe it's for here on the north side. Maybe it's for our city. Maybe it's another part of the country around the world. God's birthed it in you, and he's gifted you with the ability to do it. And the only thing that's holding you back is resources. For some of you, maybe you you won't go on the mission field, but you have a friendship. You know someone who's on the mission field now. Or there's a organization or a nonprofit, and you would love more than anything. You have a generous heart, a generous spirit. You'd love to write a $500 check, and you're unable to. All of these things require wealth and money, and we can worship God through wealth. Honoring the Lord with our wealth means gaining. It means giving. It means gathering resources in such a way as to show the world that he is the most important thing in our life. And if we don't give faithfully to God, ultimately what it says is that we don't trust God fully. 
Would you stand to your feet this morning? We're not to worship wealth like the world does. We're to worship him with wealth, with our substance, whatever it is that God has given you, with all that you are, your gifts, your energy, your time, your passion, and certainly money. Do me a favor. Would you just cup your hands like this? And what I'm going to ask you do, maybe this helps me just... Imagine like your pocketbook or your checkbook or your debit card, whatever it is. But, and I don't, I don't want you to be concerned. It's not about how much is there or how little is there. Maybe for some of you, it's your 401k or retirement, whatever it is. But just imagine it in your hands and hold it out before God as we pray. Father, first and foremost, we thank you. Lord, I've already recognized the socioeconomic diversity in this room. There, I don't want to gloss over, there are some with great need. And I pray that you would provide. But Lord, I'm also reminded that the poorest person in this room is rich beyond worldly measures. Because today there are some that haven't eaten in days. There are some that are in the middle of a war. There are some children today that don't have a mom and dad. There are some that are mourning today. There are some their home has been destroyed. There is some that do not have jobs and there is no hope of working. So we are grateful today for the clothes we have on our back, for the food that we will eat today. For the comfort of this heat that is in the room right now. For the transportation that we will have. For the safety and security that we live in at this moment. We thank you and we recognize that. But God, now we pray that we would receive the words of Solomon. That we would honor you and we would worship you first with our resources. That we would not give you the leftovers, but we would give you what's best of us. And then we would trust you. Not in a guarantee, not giving out of believing that you're going to just prosper us. But we give faithfully and obedient and just trusting you to show and demonstrate to the world that you're the most important thing in our life. So I pray that you would cause us to grow in generosity. So some of those things I mentioned a few moments ago would happen and would be fulfilled. And that we would worship you with our wealth. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Hey, before you go, I'm gonna invite our prayer team to just make their way to the front. Any elders that are here, um, staff pastors, as we do every weekend, don't leave if, if you need prayer today or you would like prayer. Um, they're gonna put some music on. We're gonna dismiss. But if we can pray for you, if there's a situation in your life, maybe there's healing. Um, if you're married and fighting over your circumstance, fighting over your finances, we'll pray for you as well. Um, but let's go and let's worship the Lord with our wealth and recognizing all that we have is his. God bless you. Have a great weekend.